Welcome to Masala PTI with your hosts, Ravi and Arvind. Pardon these Indians as they take you on a unique and wild ride around the world of sports. Happy holidays, boys and girls. Uh, welcome to another episode of uh, Masala PTI. Uh, this is should be playoff uh, semi-finals for most of the leagues, or at least the first round. And in our league, uh, in actually two of our leagues, Ravi and I are playing each other. So we are extremely happy to be talking. Ravi, how is your uh, planning going for this weekend? You know, Arvind, I am not joking when I say that I am more stressed about this weekend than I was when we took the GRE exams, which made us eligible to come to the U.S. <laughs> more stressed than any of my job interviews over the years. So yeah, this is this is it. This is it. You know, everything that we have been working towards and talking about for the last six, seven months, it all comes down to this weekend. Coincidentally, for both of us uh, versus each other, and you know, know. And at at the cost of sounding uh, uh, smug, I'll tell you, uh, and I can say it's just between us, but I guess hopefully it's not just between us and there are a few people listening to us. <laughs> I genuinely feel that in both of these leagues, the winner from our matchup this weekend is going to be the overwhelming favorite to win the Super Bowl. Let's hope so, but I have to say that in both the leagues, um, you have a better record. And you're coming off a bye. And I guess I am the underdog. But let's see how things go. In, in our league of record, I'm kind of in a tough uh, pickle. Basically, I am a two-trick pony, right? Uh, it's basically Tom Brady and Le'Veon Bell. Obviously, they've done well, and that's why I'm even here. But then almost I have no depth. The rest of my uh, roster is kind of crumbling. And here's the interesting point. And then you have San Francisco going into Atlanta, and I have three of their players, Atlanta's players. There is Devonta Freeman, so I have his handcuff, Coleman. And along the way, I also picked Taylor Gabriel. And due to my you know lack of depth and Randall Cobb and Kelvin Benjamin, doing nothing and things like that, I'm seriously considering starting all three of them, hmm. which would be a very dangerous strategy. But, you know, it, you, you might end up crushing me or I might win handily, but That's right. I might be in a situation to start all three, believe it or not, which, which you know... You can tell me what you think about that, even though I'm not going to take your opinion on this. <laughs> yeah, I'll try to stay agnostic or objective on this. And I'll tell you what, if there was one team uh, against whom I would start more than two of my players, or rather if you know I start a starting lineup which consists of two or more players for a team that's going to play one team, that would be San Francisco. They seem to be the goldmine for opposition fantasy points right. in general. So I wouldn't blame you for doing that. Uh, at the same time, I can also see where that's genuinely and literally putting all your eggs in one basket. Exactly. That's incredibly risky, but that's where I am. The other league, you kind of had a, I think you have a better team, but you had a rough start on Thursday because you have uh, Thomas Rawls. And 
how, I'm kind of surprised. I didn't closely watch that game. I was cutting in and out. I was catching some NBA, I think, that day. How come they didn't? I thought he's going to put up decent numbers against the Rams. Yeah, you know, uh, in watching that game, and again, I'll try to disassociate my point from Rawls specifically, but in general, it seemed that uh, Pete Carroll approached that game with a certain degree of uh, complacence. In the first half, for example, they hardly used Rawls. Uh, They did a lot of play action, uh, tried a couple of those end arounds, one of which worked, the other one didn't. And then surprisingly, they were penalized. That is, the Seattle offense was penalized six times, I believe, in the first half itself. And that's very uncharacteristic for, you know, for a Pete Carroll coach team, for a Russell Wilson quarterback team. So I know for sure that, and I also, just like you, I didn't catch the whole game uh, uh, through and through. But I myself, in interspersing myself in watching the game a few times, I noticed there were two pretty handy runs by Rawls which were called back due to holding penalties. I see. Okay. Uh, that's good for me, but let's see how that goes. <laughs> and you, you also, in one of our leagues, picked up the San Diego uh, you know, running back, Kenneth Farrow, the flavor of the week. So let's talk a little bit about some of these ad uh, drops and pickums for this week. It's too late in the season. We don't have a whole bunch of people, but... Obviously, Melvin Gordon's injury and in the San Diego backfield. And, of course, Adrian Peterson making himself available. I guess those are the top two shakeups, right? Um, yeah. And I'm a little bit scared playing you and Farrow, but uh, in my own selfish interest, I'm hoping Hillman gets some touches. And, by the way, what happened to Brandon Oliver? Oh, he he actually, I think, was lost for the season uh, with an ACL tear at the beginning of the season, or ra- rather, in the beginning of the preseason. Oh, okay, okay. So because so, he was my bell cow two years ago, I know, or at least half the season, and was very instrumental in landing me uh, Aaron Rodgers. I know that's a trade of the century. <laughs> you gave Brandon Oliver for Aaron Rodgers. But anyway, so what's your expectation for uh, Kenneth Farrow and Adrian Peterson? Looks like you're starting Farrow uh, in the league. You picked him up. And ironically, I picked up uh, Adrian Peterson, but I may still go with the triple Atlanta threat like I spoke about. But those are the two big shakeups for the week. And uh, let's talk a little bit about them. Yeah, I agree. And uh, uh, to me, prior to Peterson announcing himself that he's going to play this weekend, my thought was that there were two very obvious pickums for this week, and one of which was obviously Farrow. The other one I thought was Ty Montgomery. Uh, in fact, I have higher hopes, uh, at least in PPR and half-point PPR leagues, uh, mm-hmm. for a greater output from Montgomery versus Farrow uh, and I would have picked him up if, if I had been able to. Uh, so to me, those two purely, I feel, as we have discussed in the past as well, purely in regards to the volume of opportunity, uh, occur to me as a pretty big uh, pickup options this week. Uh, Farrow in particular, I feel mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, he is hopefully, and, you know, one doesn't know truly how much Hillman is going to be used. But thinking of how much the running back gets used in San Diego, uh, not only to run, but also to catch passes 
out of the backfield right. and those things start quickly adding up especially in a ppr uh, system so i think faro has standalone value as a low end rb2 and which is why in fact again going back to the league of record that we often discuss the i feel rather safe starting him at my flex because he's not my uh, one of my top two running backs and i think he does provide uh, a pretty safe floor uh, which uh, you know it's hard to find at this stage yeah especially against uh, shaky defense in uh, oakland yeah uh, who seem to have khalil mack and nothing else uh, he always seems to be good for a couple of strip sacks but then they give up points and yardage plus it may be a high scoring game at home for san diego so that's that's a good pickup the only concern that i guess is people are saying he was he was not good with blitz pickup last yeah, weekend yeah, yeah. and uh, that seems to be the only angle there but it's definitely worth a flex spot now adrian peterson is really interesting right uh, by the way before going to peterson uh it's you make an interesting point about Ty Montgomery i did see that he was getting a few touches uh last week and lately and you know i had take uh, uh randall cobb who i dropped because he was just too inconsistent and he was banged up if you remember one of our co-owners in our league said wow that's cold because i dropped him for uh I Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was funny. I mean, the other thing I noticed is this is something we should tell our listeners. As it gets this late into the season, you're literally looking at one or two weeks. Yeah. So there are a lot of moves I could make now, which I wouldn't be able to make in five or six. Right. And what I mean by that is, you would dropping Cobb. for Adam Thielen. I'm not sure if I would have done it in week 6, right? Because you look at Cobb and go, "Oh man, he has a better upside, better offense. There's so many things that you factor that in." But now if I look at him, I'm literally I have two weeks if I'm lucky, right? I need to look at this week actually exclusively, but even if I win, the best case is I have two weeks. And I'm not going to, I know already I'm not going to start him this week. So yep. you are liter- and then you can look at schedule next week and his health and it becomes kind of easy to drop these so called bigger names for utility players right yep. and that's something the listeners should look for but yeah. and there is another angle to it as well in regards to the anxiety around dropping some of these underperforming names earlier in the season versus now because your threat of competition right has reduced basically i you know in in again taking an the example of our league all i'm worried about is three teams i don't care if some if i drop say right. uh, devante booker or adrian peterson all i want is the three teams that still remain should not pick them up otherwise i couldn't care exactly. less if it's on someone else's roster that's a very good point because the two things happens right a lot of the other teams are not playing anymore or even yeah. if they are in the consolation bracket they are checked out they kind of don't pick them up plus if they pick them up you don't care you are not playing yeah. them thirdly the three teams you do care about the chances are they are good teams which means they are good players they are not going to pick a b grade stash or something yep. like that right that's right you, even if they pick they may not be actually starting them too because you don't get this far because you want randall cop from the waiver wire yep to be a starter so uh 
coming back to, I know I was thinking about that and Time Montgomery and I suddenly it struck me, uh, I do not know if you would agree, the Green Bay offense suddenly reminds me of the New Orleans offense in that from a fantasy perspective, it is becoming, uh, you know, very obvious that you cannot trust anybody except the quarterback. Yep. And of course, with New Orleans, the quarterback has been really bad too the last two weeks. Breeze has never been that bad. But in general, you can trust Breeze and that is it. And I, do you, do not you think that Green Bay is kind of moving in that direction? Absolutely correct. And uh, it is further hampered by the fact that, uh, as you said, uh, they are at best as much of a lottery uh, guess as New Orleans is and on top of it are going to play in bad weather where even someone like Rogers, I do not know how much you can trust him. Right, uh, right. So, so yes, I mean, other, other than that, you are right. I mean, we are talking about names like Cobb and even Jody Nelson who is salvaging his season with touchdowns, with short touchdowns, which is also so very unlike, you know, yes. the Jody Nelson that gets drafted as one of the top five wide receivers every year. Right. But he is salvaging himself. Adams had two really great weeks uh, sandwiched around a really bad week. So, you are right. I think you just cannot trust any of the Green Bay offensive weapons. Right. And Jordy Nelson has underperformed too, except like you said, he has enough touchdowns. So, he, is, yeah. he kind of makes my theory a little uh, incorrect in that he is probably been dependable the entire year. But like you said, it is only because of touchdowns. They get no reliable yardage they don't even get reliable targets sometimes like it's That's going right. yeah it's going all over the place and in in kind of looking at the causal aspect of why that is the case and i'm just throwing in my personal bias against mike mccarthy i was listening to peter king's interview with him this past week on peter king's monday morning quarterback podcast and i came out of listening to that podcast further validating or further feeling assured that Mike McCarthy is a piece of shit. He <laughs> offered nothing uh, meaty, nothing uh, you know, uh, intellectual in regards to why the Green Bay offense sputtered for a while this season, why it has kind of uh, propped itself up in the last few weeks, other than very generic, uh, you know, inane uh, statements which didn't even seem like Hoodie's inane statements, right? When Hoodie says something very banal, very trite, you know that there is more behind it. He just doesn't want to entertain you. Right, uh, right. Mike McCarthy seems dense. He just sounds stupid. <laughs> I see. I, I've never been a big fan of him. Yeah. Uh, you know, it takes me back to a argument I had with a friend of mine. This was right after... Uh, McCarthy won the Super Bowl and then uh, Jim Arbaugh took uh, the Niners to the Super Bowl and lost, right? Yeah. And I was obviously being from the Bay Area, I thought Jim Arbaugh was one of the best coaches and uh, my friend immediately jumped in and said, no, 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 he's a Green Bay Packer fan and he was defending, he was saying in, by that argument, you know, even McCarthy could be. But honestly, fast forwarding four years or uh, whatever, uh, looking at it now, I mean, I don't think there is any comparison. Jim Arba is truly a great coach. Yeah. Uh, Mike McCarthy is uh, very shaky at best. Uh, he's just lucky to have Rogers with him. Um, I, I agree. In yeah. fact, speaking of Harbaugh and just uh, spending a brief moment of a tangent on coaching, 
uh, Jim Harbaugh is one of those guys, and I think he's almost like a, an other sport, younger version of Larry Brown, right? For the first two years of their time at any any particular team, they're the best coach. Afterwards, they wear their players out, and then all of a sudden, there is a complete 180 on uh, chemistry and as a result on performance. Otherwise, uh, he's got the coaching chops nailed down. Yes, he's awesome. Anyway, coming back to fantasy and NFC North, Peterson. So you had him a couple of weeks back, and then you had to drop him probably for one of these other pickups you have done, uh, better ones. But then I went and picked him up yesterday. So yeah. he's saying he's going to play. He's actually has a pretty questionable defense he's going up against in Colts this weekend. But I just don't know what to what to expect from him. Uh, any thoughts? You you are very familiar with that backfield, given your uh, romance with uh, Jarek McKinnon all season. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and that romance was the reason why I finally ended up making the decision to drop Peterson. Uh, because I figured, you know, Peterson, all world, one of the 10 best of all time, without a doubt. But playing behind an offensive line that's uh, shaky at best, uh, putrid at worst. And I thought, again, going back to what you just said a few moments ago, that I have two weeks to live. Mm -hmm. And I know for sure that at least in the first of those two weeks, which is this weekend, I'd be much better off using a Kenneth Farrow. So my larger point is, I think Peterson will be really good come playoff time if the Vikings get there. But if by chance they lose tomorrow, which yeah. I don't, I think it has a, I mean, you know, there's a more than even chance that could happen. I see no reason why he would want to play and potentially risk an injury in a meaningless last couple of weeks. And yeah. even from the team's perspective, uh, what's, you know, what would be the absolute urgency of having him play? I understand he's been otherworldly in terms of his recovery from injuries. But there is so much stacked against him that at least for this weekend, I don't see much production. But next week, if they win tomorrow, and you know, if he, if he continues with his promise of being there if the Vikings are in the playoff hunt, I think he could, I mean, he, you know, he, he, he could be serviceable. I just didn't see it as a two-week asset which yeah. compensates for what I needed. So let's see. So he's playing Colts this weekend. Uh, bad defense, but still I agree with you. Even in my case, I don't know if I, I'm going to start him. Right? You need to see what's going on there. And then next week he's at Packers, and a lot of uh, people might be in their Super Bowl, right? Fantasy Super Bowl. Right. Uh, so that's going to be interesting. Uh, Packers, I guess, are not a great defense either. And it could be outdoors, it could be cold, who knows what's going to happen in that game. But, but uh, uh, yeah, he may be a good gamble for next week. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because this week they also said, and I was you know, reading this article in the Star Tribune, that he's going to play with a titanium brace around his knee. And I'm like, you know, he could be a robot. <laughs> he's obviously close to being superhuman, but still, yeah. I cannot expect you know, a titanium brace around your knee and you know, running efficiently. And Farrow is going to be around next week too, right? I mean, I don't think Melvin Gordon will be back. Uh, that's my, yeah, that's my suspicion. I know he and San Diego has the incentive of having him at least play a few, uh, for, for a few possessions either next week or the week after because all he needs is three yards to get 1,000. So I do think they want to get him over the hump on that. Uh, but, 
you know, given the nature of the injury, I would say he's probably sketchy for next week. Wow, and they're at Browns. So all things considered, uh, he's a much better pick than Peterson. Uh, yeah, they are at the Browns. That's true. So if Farrow does get the start next week as well, anyone playing against the Browns is a fairly decent uh, proposition. Okay. That's good. I think that's good analysis of these two guys. And plus you throw in Ty Montgomery in there as well. Um, on the flip side of that, Ravi, so Ty Montgomery next week will be playing the Vikings. I don't know if that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... In fact, yeah. So, in f- that, that uh, going back to what you said about the Green Bay offense, that's the other thing. I know they're playing Chicago, but Chicago, number one, uh, the temperatures that I believe at at their highest, they're kind of minus one degrees or something. Uh, mm-hmm. And secondly, Chicago is still not one of those teams which has given up. I mean, you know, you can see the way the Rams played on Thursday and, you know, they've packed it and they have basically checked their baggages and <laughs> ready to get their boarding pass, but the Bears seem to be giving it in, I mean, not giving it in, giving it uh, their best during the games, despite losing, and then followed by the Vikings. So, the Green Bay schedule also doesn't look too good. Yes, agreed. Any any other uh, startum, situm type recommendations for this week? Because, yeah, again, going back to our matchup, I just saw... Uh, uh, another thing that scared me about your team. So you have Kirk Cousins, and he's the top quarterback in some rankings for this weekend, which I don't even fully get, but yeah. he, he is there. And of course, I have Brady, but Brady is going into Denver, so I don't know what to expect from him. So I guess Kirk Cousins is a good start, and of course, we spoke about the Atlanta guys. Those would be my recommendations. Um, how about you? Anything pops to your mind? Oh, no, nothing else other than the ones you mentioned in terms of individuals. But I do have an offensive or, sorry, a streaming defensive uh, team pick, which is the Dolphins. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, you know, I, let, me, let me restate. I feel anyone that's playing against the Jets this week and next week can be streamed. And that was incidentally the reason why I have Miami this week. And hopefully if I get to have New England next week. Because the Browns and the Jets are probably, in addition to the 49ers, uh, the three teams that are, uh, you know, fantasy bonanza for opposing defenses. Yeah, I, I also am in a streaming situation, right? It's funny you say that because I actually had Dolphins a couple of weeks back in at least one of the leagues because I think they were playing, I was playing some matchup, right? Maybe Browns or something like that. The okay. concern I had this week was, as bad as the Jets are, these guys are going in with their backup quarterback too. Yeah. Right. So it's like backup quarterback versus backup quarterback. So I, I just thought I couldn't make up my mind. So I ended up picking up uh, Houston, I think. The other options are, it's a good tip actually, uh, Ravi, uh, Dolphins, Houston, or Atlanta because they're hosting San Francisco. That's now, right. Those are the favorite picks for the week as far as streaming defenses go. So, that's I think that's good. Anything else on the uh, fantasy side that we missed or you want to cover? I, I know you... Oh, you wanted to talk a little bit about learnings and uh, what we can take away for 2017. We could do that now or we could do it over several weeks. And I know we could do it after all the playoffs are done too but anything that 
that you really want to talk about? Yeah, something that I want to do in great detail after the fantasy playoffs are done is exactly what you said. Just kind of like a post-mortem of the strategy this year and which mm-hmm. of those strategic points were validated and which ones need to be rethought for next year as we prepare. But just, you know, just to give kind of a sneak preview to that discussion, yeah. something that we've discussed quite often is the whole, uh, you know, move towards zero RB or... I remember, I think there was some stat where in the consensus rankings, pre-draft rankings, there were eight wide receivers in the top 10 picks. And if you look back at who those eight were, you realize that uh, that was a very unstable stance in the first place and further justified by what has happened over the course of this year, where, you know, you take the names that were there, Julio Jones or DeAndre Hopkins, who's probably the biggest example of (laughs) what I'm saying, or even Allen Robinson, and yeah. the or thing even... that bears out is what we have always been saying, that for wide receivers, there is no handcuff strategy that you can apply. Mm-hmm. If you lose a wide receiver or if a wide receiver is uh, underperforming, you basically don't have a backup. That's one thing. Second thing is a wide receiver always is going to depend on another very key skill player needing to perform at a high level in order for him to perform at a high level. And Brock Osweiler being piece of shit, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, causing immense harm to DeAndre Hopkins is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. So to me, going back to the roots, the old school thought of let's stick to tried and trusted running backs to start with, uh, seems much more the strategy for the future, at least personally speaking. I agree. Actually, I think I argued with you back in the day. I, I almost went the zero RB route, but uh, all the points you made Plus the fact that some running backs and running games have emerged, right, this yeah. season, contrary to maybe expectation, uh, you're, you're one of your guys, Ezekiel Elliott is a great example. Uh, Melvin Gordon, yeah. DeMarco Murray, these guys showed that you could still run and be effective. Uh, in some cases, their teams are not doing that well, uh, but still... They're offensively, they're getting the job done. So maybe there might be a renaissance of uh, the older strategy next year. Because at the end of the day, Ravi, I think the, uh, there are two things, right? One is the NFL-wide change impacting fantasy. But there is also f- pure fantasy consideration, like who are the current stars, what are they producing, that sort of thing. So this year, I'm beginning to agree with you that might have been an aberration in that. At the beginning of the season, it sounded like a bunch of receivers are much more reliable than running backs as studs, super studs. Maybe next year, we'll be back to trusting Elliott and Murray and uh, Le'Veon Bell. And maybe uh, it will shift again, despite the fact that Peterson and Gurley kind of tanked right for yeah. different reasons but yeah I, I agree with you mate next year it may be a more even mix i don't know if we will ever go back to eight out of ten or ten out of twelve being running backs yeah but yeah. i think it will shift the running back way yes yeah. and in you know the the key thing you mentioned is i think it shifted diametrically opposite right it used to be eight or nine running backs in the top ten yeah. to totally going the other side. And I think there is a balance to be reached, and that's what we'll start seeing in 2017. Yes, agreed. 
Cool. Let's talk some NBA now. Okay. Uh, uh, first, I guess we should uh, pass on our condolences to Craig Sager's family. Uh, that was a big news as well as a big loss. He was always fun. He just bought some positive energy and uh, I, I just like this demeanor. Uh, even aside from his uh, suits and all the uh, clowning that went around it, I, I just thought he was a kind of a confident guy who actually asked tough questions if you listen to him closely. And he was not scared of any of these superstar athletes or Popovich or anybody. So that's a loss and I'm definitely going to miss him. Yeah. You know, he and I'll, I have one of my Pukka five points uh, kind of devoted to talking about Sager. But really quickly, uh, just to add to what you said, I think he kind of made the whole sideline reporting profession uh, cool. Uh, and again, it has very little to do with the flashy suits and his attire. It was more to do with the fact that people wanted to uh, or people knew him. And as has been the case with a lot of players saying after his death that they actually desired to be uh, questioned by him and right. that's not one thing that that's one thing that you cannot say about most if not almost all of the typical sideline reporting exchanges that occur between reporters and players or coaches yeah and i also like how nba has totally shown all kinds of respect for him and it is a it, it's almost like he is like a major, major part of the game. And he, he was in his own way, right? But I was pleasantly surprised and happy that they're going the extra mile to kind of pay tribute to him and homage uh, to him. Uh, did he, I was a little surprised. What was your reaction? Because teams are wearing those, you know, fancy suit type, uh, you know, uh, warm-up gear and things like that. And it, it's been nice to see. It was stunning. It was stunning yeah. to see. Uh, and it was literally the first time that I can remember a media personality and a media personality who was not, you know, globally recognized as being an icon. So we're not talking about, say, a Walter Cronkite or someone. Yeah. Uh, very specific role within the sports media arena passing away. And then the entire ecosystem of that particular arena joining hands and giving a fantastic tribute. And it came in all different types and fashions, right? You had the standard eulogies, then yeah. you had the Steve Kerr pre-game standing ovation, which I thought was really touching. And then right. the way I, you know, you could see Barkley talking on, I mean, in studio live and yet not coming out of his nose, but he didn't care. I mean, uh, frankly, it was, that was moving. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think Suns did the jersey thing too, right? Or the warm-up... Uh, Oh, is that right? I yeah, think, I think I, I think they did that too. So cool. Yeah, that was really nice. And by the way, if people have not listened to his uh, SP speech. That's great too. It uh, is great. It yeah, is great. It is great. Anyway, uh, I guess R.I.P. Sager. And as on the court, uh, I guess Warriors are still looking good. Uh, they they went on this great road trip, and then uh, great as in a long hard, arduous strip, and then they came back 4-1, and one, I think, and looks like we are headed for another uh, Warriors-Cavs finals, which would we would get to see that matchup on Christmas Day. Uh, anything else, on the, you know, especially with the Western Conference that you are expecting, Ravi? Any upsets, any challengers to Warriors? 
I do not. <laughs> I do not. They seem to be, you know, doing their own thing in a very smooth fashion. The, the it, it's almost funny, and with the advent of social media and new technology, the thing that I've realized is that everything is so uh, microscopically scrutinized. So if the Warriors lose a game, or even if they don't lose it, if they barely squeak a win, I, I see a bunch of you know either tweets or uh, opinions around how they are not as good as they were last year, and I'm like, you know what? <laughs> These are not problems. I mean, even within the sporting fan. Uh, universe these are not problems they look great yeah yeah they do uh, on the uh, eastern conference have you, the one guy that's getting a lot of run is the greek freak uh, i can't even pronounce his name but the guy in milwaukee bucks he has been terrific actually um when cleveland came to milwaukee i think he put on a show against lebron james uh that's something people should keep an eye on. I think that may be team of the future in the Eastern Conference. Have you seen any of him? Yes, and you're right. That could be that could be what uh, it almost appears that uh, we are looking at a preview of uh, you know the future Cavalier or Warrior type of team. I think right. uh, he's quite quite spellbounding to watch. Yeah, the guy has amazing length and he's got everything going for him. I was also happy to watch the Suns beat the Lakers. Uh, I don't know, last week or I forgot when, but that was a good win for the Suns. So they are, I think, coming along. It may take a year or two, but uh, hope. Uh, one thing I have to say about the Suns is I'm surprised at the GM's patience because uh, at some point his job was under threat, but he seems to be secure enough to truly build uh, long-term winner, a team for the future, which which I think is good for us. Well, I, I, I was expecting some knee-jerk win-now type moves, but it's they're doing quite the opposite, actually. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So can you, I mean, what in uh, in recent weeks or games, has there been something specific that kind of gives you more uh, sense of reassurance in this regard? <laughs> Just that they bet the Lakers. <laughs> That's always a good news. I think um, uh, Bledsoe has been on fire, which I don't know if that's uh, they're going to keep him long term or not. They they can, right? I like him. Uh, he has been on fire. I think he's asserting himself a little bit more. So there is some uh, what do you call some some momentum picking up around him and being the primary scorer or whatever, which again, I don't know if it's good long term. Other than that, I think uh, there is nothing has changed per se uh, from what I can tell. And they're still a young, immature team. They're going to lose more than they win, I think. So we shouldn't get too excited. But uh, guys are productive. Bender is doing, uh, he's not very impressive so far, but you can see that he is, is is uh, very mobile. He moves around well. He can shoot, and I, I. The only thing is, I wish Booker was more consistent. I I was just going to say that, and that's yeah. why you know my question to you was slightly loaded, uh, Arvin. And <laughs> the reason for that is, I think Watson. I agree has really balanced out the expectations amongst a bunch of different players. I think Bledsoe has been the star thus far, but he's been able to get something meaningful out of Barbosa, Dudley. 
Chandler's been a beast, you know, on rebounding and defense. And yeah. funnily enough, the one guy that uh, I still think hasn't really hit top gear or even f- close to it is Booker. He's very inconsistent. Yes. Um, uh, my hope is that as happens with, you know, any pure shooter, they get on streaks. And I hope there is a streak of about 10 to 15 games where he's carrying us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, so yeah, yeah but, but the fact that... The Suns are in every game, win or lose. I think they're making it interesting. And that too, without Booker really showing up, I think uh, Watson is doing a fairly decent job. Yeah, and I, I, you know, going back to Booker, I honestly, there's two concerns there is, right? One is, I expected him to kind of explode onto the scene this year. That's really not happening. Secondly, it's going to your point about being streaky, there was somebody on one of the podcasts, I forget which one, uh, they're talking about how some guys who are that streaky never get out of that. They're streaky their entire career. Hmm. That is a little bit of a concerning thought, right? If you look at Curry or Clay, uh, you don't usually say streaky. Well, Clay can be streaky, I guess, but all shooters are streaky, like you said. But still, Curry is a lot more defendable, right? Now, I know that's a high bar to compare against, but if Booker is going to be the go-to guy in the future, uh, uh, I hope he doesn't just settle in to be a streaky shooter like, you know, uh, J.R. Smith or somebody like that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> in, but he's too young. Just to, uh, you know, uh, my final thought on him is he's too young. We should probably give him more time. Yeah, I uh, yeah that is true because it's it's ironic and uh, very uh, aligned that you mentioned about the nature of streaky shooters because prior to the season starting and with all the hype building around Booker, my expectations were that he either already this season or at least in the immediate future will become you know maybe one of the top ten players of the league. Unfortunately, what has happened thus far is making me slightly worried that he shouldn't end up becoming that great shooter who you can expect streaks from, but who has the ceiling of, say, uh, a Jamal Crawford or a J.R. Smith or a Dennis Scott going back into (laughs) archives. That's not what... My expectations are from Booker. Yes, and I, I think I'm pretty confident that's not him uh, either because whether or not he's streaky, right, he mm. has so many other things going for him. I think he sees the floor really well. He's very level-headed. Uh, he can drive to the hoop. First, uh, Basically, he's not just a streaky shooter. I mean, he's yes. not just a shooter, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He can do a lot more. With that said, his shooting is what is going to determine his ceiling as far as scoring goes. So whether he's a 15-point night guy or 20 or 25 or 28 is going to be largely driven by his shooting. So I think that's where the concern is. But to your point, I am fairly confident he is much better than any of the names you mentioned only because... The guy can pass, the guy can drive, the guy sees the field really well. And there is a calm and maturity about his game. It's hard to put a finger on, but you can just sense it, which is amazing, actually, for his age. Yeah. In fact, thanks for that assurance, uh, because my next level worry 
uh, Arvind, and so next level as in a lesser worry, but still a worry nevertheless, is about him becoming like someone who, again, for a year or two, looked like an all-world player, but ended up being a no-name, which is Danny Granger. If you remember, yeah, few years ago, while with the Pacers, yeah, Granger was pretty much what Paul George is being, exactly. and, right? And exactly. then all of a sudden, I know that in his case, unfortunately, injury was the cause, but. When he came off of that injury, uh, he all of a sudden went from being uh, an all-NBA player to hardly making uh, the roster. And then I know he was traded to the Suns and right, the, right. even the Suns couldn't find use for him. So <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, that's, that's great at point because at one point we were all thinking, wow, Granger plus Paul George, that's like going to yeah. be un- unstoppable. But then it just became Paul George plus the guy you cut. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, you never know how these things go. But like you said, he was injured, I think. that's Yeah, let's, yeah. Let's blame it on that. Anyways, uh, I think that wraps up our topics for the week. How about we jump into our Paka 5? Why don't you go first? Let me start then. So my first Paka 5 comment or point is around our dear old friend, wide receiver Michael Floyd with the Cardinals. I mean, for all of our cursing and... Uh, uh, crying over his underperformance, the thing that I least expected from him was to get a DUI the night after a heartbreaking loss and eventually getting cut by the Cardinals. Yeah. And obviously, from a personal standpoint, hopefully he does well and being picked up by Hoodie and the Patriots, you know, you could do a lot worse than that. Uh, but what was startling to me, Arvind, was I, frankly, I mean, I thought the Cardinals management did the right thing by cutting him. I mean, just to send a statement, mm-hmm. what was really startling to me was to see the outpouring of uh, sympathy uh, and positive uh, vibes uh, from the teammates, from the players of the Cardinals organization towards Floyd, like including people like Palmer and Fitzgerald calling him his younger brother and so on and so forth. Mm. And these are people who are not your boogie cousins type of knuckleheads. You know, when you talk about Palmer and Fitzgerald, these are very level-headed, high IQ individuals. So for them to say that, I'm sure they had it in the back of their mind that whatever they say is going to be scrutinized and is not going to be in line with the decision of the organization. But still for them to say it, I just figured this may not have been the best uh, uh, signal to the overall chemistry within the Cardinals. So for what it's worth, I mean, I think it's worth seeing how they come out tomorrow against New Orleans, the Cardinals that is, but uh, uh, but not a, not a, not a, overall not a very healthy uh, situation uh, due to Floyd. I mean, previously yeah. it was on the field, now it is off the field as well. And you also had an interesting point when we were talking about this, about why Hoodie picked him up, right? Yeah. We, yeah, so, you know, uh, Switzerland's interview obviously conveyed that he's very close to Floyd. And then he mentioned also in that interview that a couple of head coaches had called him to ask about Floyd. And then five minutes later, you, it turns out that the Patriots had signed him on. And my thought is that next year, Fitzgerald would look great in a Patriots uniform. Yeah. You know, he's exactly the type of receiver that Woody needs. And nothing better than a centi brownie point uh, signal uh, <laughs> than to pick up Floyd, his younger brother, and say, hey, listen, we did this. And uh, so that's what worried me a little bit about that whole thing. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you can't put that past uh, Hoodie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Cool. So my second Paka Five is around Craig Seeger. Uh, we did talk a little bit about uh, you know how sad it was and what you know what a uh, nice little reputation he had built up amongst his peers, about amongst the coaches, basically the entire NBA fraternity. But the thing that really stood out to me was the kind of feedback or the kind of uh, flavors to the eulogy that uh, you know the different people came out with. And the one especially that stood out was what Dennis Rodman said. Rodman mentioned that in 93, when he was out of favor in Detroit, people basically were hating him within the organization. He had fallen on bad times from a personal standpoint. And he was genuinely contemplating suicide. And there was this one particular evening where he had the, had a gun on him and was wow. sitting in a bar. And he had decided that he was going to have his last drink, step out and shoot himself. Wow. And out of the blue, Craig Sager popped into that same bar, talked to him, uh, Rodman poured his heart out and was basically advised over an hour, uh, over a couple of drinks by Sager not to take an extreme step and there's always a brighter tomorrow. And what happens maybe I think a week later is that the Bulls come looking for or rather the Spurs come looking for Rodman and then eventually he became an all-star again with the Bulls. So he had mentioned that and I was thinking, you know, we as the complete outside layperson audience to this whole circus look at Sager and say bright suits yeah odd ties great guy talks nicely so people like him but there is so much more depth to some of his interactions and relationships with people and you can see why people absolutely are uh, uh, you know uh, have been loving him and are absolutely shattered about his loss great yeah i had i had no idea about this piece of news so, Yes, it was interesting. Now, going to the other end of the spectrum and talking about a true knucklehead, namely Jeff Fisher. So, he, <laughs> thankfully, our prayers were answered and he got canned right after uh, last week's loss. Unfortunately, he also, you know, it, it shows, the two things show the complete dysfunction within the St. Louis, I mean, within the LA Rams. One of which is that he got canned two weeks after they announced this extension, which obviously the extension didn't mean much from a dollars and cents perspective, but just from a PR perspective, that's a nightmare. And the second thing is that uh, they canned him knowing that they were going to play Thursday night. So you're giving the new coach, whomever it is, basically three days to uh, mentally and from a social perspective prepare to be the head coach and the results were there to be seen on Thursday. I mean, Jim Fossil's son looked like he had aged 25 years. <laughs> so, but the reason I even bring this point is Fisher got fired and the very next day issues a statement that he's very much looking to get back into the business and he's actually looking forward to playing against the Rams. So almost like making it sound like he had, he had been unjustifiably... Yeah, and I was like, this dude made $49 million and won 31 games over the course of five years. So he oh, yeah. should be the last person to claim uh, that he was unfairly treated. So Right. And he got a, he got a long uh, stretch of, uh, what do you call, very secure employment too. Like because yeah. of his past. Other, many people have been fired like a couple of years back if they performed the same, at the same level. That's true. That's true. I mean, you know, and I look back, I think I was recently watching a football life and this one, this particular episode was on Marty uh, Schottenheimer. Mm -hmm. And it, it struck me that he, you know, his last coaching job was with the Chargers who fired him after a playoff game 
after a season when he went i think 13 and 3 or 12 and 4 that was the loss against the patriots in san diego when the chargers were favored he got canned right after that game and i was like there are people like that and then you have fisher who's been working at it like he's working for the indian government mm. <laughs> so so, so so that was my third point my fourth one is uh, you know something uh, that i recently struck upon which is a podcast called make me smarter podcast it's an nfl podcast uh, hosted by mike lombardi you know he used to be in the oh, oakland oh, front I, office i love that guy i, I love, love him too guy. so yeah. you know due to his uh, periodic appearances on bill simmons podcast and a few yeah. other media joints i enjoy listening to him in general but the only thing i always used to repent a regret was that you know you only hear him in like small snippets like 5 minutes and his analogies are always brilliant and i came to know that he actually has his own podcast which is not very popular gave it a try and i absolutely love it it's called make me smarter podcast he is the uh, primary host along with another guy who i don't know who uh, he is but they talk about I see. basically the weekly football scene and he's in full form with his analogies uh, <laughs> Uh, and you know and his love for certain teams like the patriots and an absolute uh, hatred for other teams so it's fun if so if uh, folks that are listening to our podcast want to listen to something uh, intelligent and funny i think michael lombardi's make me smarter is a good one i will definitely I, check it out i i really like him i i guess we both probably heard him in bill simmons podcast and he has a whole bunch of ideas and phrases and concepts Yes, yes. Which is fascinating, right? He talks about how the Browns are a 35-minute team or 36-minute <laughs> team. He, I know, I, I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. And then he has another thing. He calls people Tuesday, Tuesday players or something. He says, like, Gronk is Tuesday player. What that means is defenses spend all Tuesday trying to game plan for him. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's yeah. true. And he has this other thing where he calls... Um, uh i forget who it was oh yeah he called duck peterson the xerox man because he basically just xerox andy reed's coaching game plan oh, from okay. kansas city and is trying to run it in philadelphia with different players and he says that's not how it works so, <laughs> cool. so things like that so yeah so there are a few things that he's done uh and the last uh, pakka 5 point arvin that i have is more of a retraction and this has to do with a couple of episodes ago i talked about how I couldn't fathom Troy Aikman being in the Hall of Fame <laughs> uh, despite his pretty mediocre record other than the three Super Bowls he had won. Now, I watched his football life episode last week and couldn't have come out of it feeling more different about Aikman. I mean, it turns out that basically aside from Jimmy Johnson, uh, before and after Troy Aikman was the player coach for the Cowboys. He was the, he was trying his best even to pacify relations between uh, Jimmy Johnson and Jerry uh, Jones uh, he was the one who was the glue between Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin and you know that whole circus that was going on so the again going back to the intangible value of a player especially a quarterback it's not just about the record it's about what someone's doing behind the scenes and eventually uh, Aikman left in very you know the whole separation happened in very bad taste where Uh, Jerry brought his cronies as coaches and Aikman was against that and so he fell off fell out with uh, Aikman so i kind of felt for the guy and realized that he has, he's someone that could have played for a few more years in fact mm. so so he's someone that i feel today in complete retraction to my earlier perspective that uh, i think he's a very deserved 
member of the Hall of Fame. Cool. That's very manly of you, issuing retractions. <laughs> cool. That's a great, great list. Let me jump into mine. Uh, I'll start with a couple of basketball things uh, since we spoke about NBA today. Uh, the other day I was watching Kristaps Porzingis against the Warriors. And that's another young guy who is just fantastic. And then the, the thing, he didn't even have a great game against the Warriors, I don't think. But one thing that caught my eye was uh, he was matched up a couple of times against Kevin Durant. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just amazing to see suddenly Kevin Durant is this smaller guy having, <laughs> having trouble with a really tall guy who can handle, who can shoot, who can drive, who can do everything, right? So essentially, he looks like a Durant with another four inches on him. That's just amazing. Uh, you know, when Durant is, you, you have this problem when power forwards try to guard Durant, he goes around them. When smaller guys try to guard him, he shoots over them, right? And he, for Christoph Porzingis, was doing that to Durant, or at least trying to, and that just blew my mind. So that guy is going to be something down the road. Uh, you know, the, sorry, Arvind, but the no. really, uh, the one thing that really hits the nail on its head as far as Christoph is concerned is what Bill Simmons said a few weeks ago, which is that unlike Yao Ming or... You know, Sean Bradley, and I know these are bad examples, but uh, there are some really tall players uh -huh. who kind of look gangly, who don't look proportionate. Right. This guy basically looks like a very proportionate man who's just really tall. So he, he looks fluid when running. You know, he knows what he's doing when he's handling the ball. So he's, he's, a, he's a beast. Yeah, he is. He's amazing. Um, my second point is now that the fantasy football is winding down, uh, I would recommend people to check out fantasy basketball, which actually uh, I've been guilty of ignoring myself for a few years. But one of the things that uh, fantasy does is it gives you an appreciation for numbers and uh, athletes performing at a high level, right? Because you intuitively know that. But really, when you look at numbers is when we really appreciate how good Melvin Gordon is or whoever is, right? Uh, otherwise, it's easy to ignore him on a losing team. You think he's having a horrible season. And one of the revelations of fantasy basketball to me when I played it many years back was uh, how much of an appreciation you gain for efficiency as opposed to just pure scoring or numbers. Uh, because a lot of the leagues, it depends on how you score, but a lot of the leagues do uh, knock a few points down for bad shooting and missed shots and missed free throws and things like that. And you really gain an appreciation for efficient players who can affect every part of the game. And in basketball, it's even better because guys play both offense and defense. In fantasy football, one of the problems is we completely ignore individual defense, right? In basketball, you get scored for rebounds, blocks, and everything. And just to give you an example, many years back, uh, when both Allen Iverson and Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett were all at their peak, uh, it was amazing to me in fantasy basketball how much more uh, valuable Kevin Garnett and Tim Duncan were compared to Allen Iverson, even though Iverson was dropping ridiculous po points per game at that time. Now, you could look at me and say, uh, are you dumb that you needed fantasy basketball to say Duncan <laughs> is more efficient than Allen Iverson? Of course, we all knew that, but still the 
kind of the quote unquote sex appeal of Allen Iverson was so high at the time because he was just crossing people over and scoring 30 plus every night it looked like but then you when I played fantasy basketball it was so clear that what Duncan meant to his team was just completely different from what Allen Iverson could bring to the table despite the 30 points and such insights can be gleaned through looking at numbers and fantasy basketball will force you to do that and kind of give you a different perspective on everybody from the superstars to a role player. So if you get a chance, I would recommend people play that. Have you ever played uh, basketball, fantasy basketball, Ravi? No, so I, I'm a recent uh, uh, convert or a recent entree into the uh, fantasy basketball uh, uh, hobby. And mm-hmm. I can attest to everything that you've said as absolutely 100% correct. Because in my case, what had happened was I had kind of almost lost interest in basketball other than watching, say, the Warriors or the Suns play in the last couple of seasons. Uh-huh. So there were a lot of players that I were that this year when I was watching, I didn't even know who they were or which teams they played for. Mm-hmm. Um, then I decided that one way of getting hooked on or getting clued into these things was to play fantasy basketball. And that's exactly what has happened where at least I think it's been now two weeks or three weeks that I've been kind of venturing into daily fantasy and trying to look and potentially pick up, say, a starting lineup for that night, which includes players who, again, as I said, I wouldn't have known otherwise were effective or efficient players. And you look at uh, their scoring dimensions across multiple perspectives. As you said, basketball is different in that sense that players are assessed for both offensive and defensive capability. Right. Uh, I think that's been really helpful. So, yeah. good point. Yeah, that's a good point. I should probably go sign up for daily fantasy basketball too. That should be fun. Anyways, um, that's my second point. The third one is, I know Ravi mentioned football life a couple of times. I watched uh, Marcus Allen's football life hmm. too. And that was fascinating. That brought up a couple of things. As much as I am a fan of uh, the godfather, Al Davis, uh, uh, of the Raiders, uh, I was really disappointed in his whole ego issue with Marcus Allen and how he treated him. And uh, I had no idea some of the struggles uh, Marcus Allen went through purely because of the personality clash. Yeah. And, he, and in the show, he talks about how one training camp, he came in as the fourth running back in the depth chart. And then he looks at the interviewer and says, by the way, I'm in the Hall of Fame, you know. So imagine a Hall of Fame running back in his prime being the fourth on his depth chart. And that just blew my mind. Yeah. And, and on the uh, same day, just, you know, watching that, it struck me that how uh, glad I am that there is free agency and more opportunities for these athletes because we often get upset at them for f- forcing a trade or uh, throwing tantrums. But really, that's exactly what Marcus Allen should have done and found his way out. But I guess the systems were different back then. And they, Al Davis had so much control over him until finally he went to Kansas City. So I, I'm really g- glad that these athletes actually have free agency and all the flexibility and some of the leverage these days. Otherwise, the billionaire owners can do whatever they want. And that's, I think, even worse. That's for, a good... Uh, 
Yeah, no, that's yeah. a really good point because that to me is ultimately the deciding factor because as again lay people when we look at certain athletes demanding things we say oh they're millionaires making a lot of money doing something that they absolutely love why are they complaining the reason i think why they are justified in their demands is they're not combating or uh, uh, you know uh, working against us as an audience their point of contention are these billionaire owners who are probably 10 times more arrogant and exactly. you know uh, you know less fair than they are so right. they are right. picking the right fights i feel right and not to not to uh, rat hole on this one the other part of it is i think people these guys are celebrities and much more on tv right so the people are like oh look at just millionaires complaining but really the millionaires are complaining against the billionaires that's right we have no insight into how much money the billionaire is making whereas the millionaire contracts are all out there we sit and constantly analyze whether curry is underpaid and you know masgao is overpaid but do we know how much money joe lakeb is making or robert sarwar exactly we, we never asked that question and honestly ravi i think part of this is also racism in the sense most of the athletes tend to be of certain color and most of the owners tend to be of another color and yeah. i also don't want to blame all of that in racism the other part is i think america always looks at rich people very positively they think you know if i work hard i can be a robert sarwar or uh you know gym boss even though you cannot be but they don't relate to the athletes the same way the athletes they look at him and goes oh he just throws the ball into a hoop and he should be happy he gets 10 million dollars that's you, right you are absolutely right they are not fighting against you they are fighting against the owner who could be making 100 million off of them so exactly it's a complex And- topic we should probably talk about that an entire show during the off season <laughs> no absolutely in fact i think this particular topic and especially when games aren't going on is something that i've always wanted to discuss at length and you know i wouldn't mind being uh, disagreed on uh, given some of my contentious opinions on these but you i mean frankly have some as well and i think we should definitely spend some time on this in one of our forthcoming podcasts sure let's do it now my fourth point is about staying on football um you know people who are at least our age uh, probably re- still remember the tuck rule game back when i don't even know the year probably 2001 or 2 yep. uh, when the raiders went into uh, new england and brady was pretty much unknown commodity at that time and that's the season that pretty much launched him into prominence now the way the f- playoffs are shaping up this year we may get a redo of that and i was just thinking it would be amazing if oakland again goes into new england and it ends up being another snow uh game and brady is still there that's the other amazing part uh he is the ageless wonder and of course being on the left coast i also hope uh, the oakland raiders can avenge the defeat and win it this time but if that replace i think that would be a majorly hyped uh, playoff game so let's all pull for that to happen that's my uh, fourth point yes uh, i mean that game will probably have at least a week's worth of 
you know it's definitely going to be worth looking forward to yeah and man my last point not to end on a, uh, a sad note but basically again football is in the news a little bit for all the wrong reasons this oklahoma running back joe mixon uh, pretty much punched a girl into uh, just collapsing and on the way down she also hit a table and it, it's pretty ugly video to look at but uh, again this whole uh, uh, narrative of a violent football player is just not going away i hope uh, oklahoma takes some strong action against this guy I, i don't know what prompted him but there's never excuse to touch a girl like that and uh, in the same way in nebraska uh, not nebraska sorry minnesota is going through a whole bunch of issues with a uh, whole uh, rape allegation and consensual sex or what it is and a whole bunch of players getting suspended and the interesting part is the players are revolting because these guys were already suspended and reinstated and they're now saying why are you punishing them again and they're beginning to boycott or they're threatening to boycott the bowl game so that's going to be a very interesting situation to keep an eye on too So those are my fuck up five points and that's pretty much wraps it up Ravi um Yeah no yeah. today I think we got very in depth and profound in some of our fuck up five topics which is always a good thing so uh, a <laughs> nice one nice list Ivan Yeah uh, happy holidays to our listeners and hope to talk to them again soon Happy holidays to, to you too Thanks so much Yep you as well and to everyone in the audience Yep talk to you soon bye hey, hey.